Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Well, it's the end of Season 2 on The Crime Couch. This is a compilation of some of the 40 episodes of The Crime Couch during 2022. Every interview has been an extraordinary insight and glimpse into the lives of the men and women of Victoria Police and some interesting characters on the other side of the line. While no story is more important than another, these personal tales really map out life for former Victoria Police members and veterans and have made a real impact on us and on you, our listeners. And a big special thank you must go out to my editor, Pete Dillon, for all post-production. Former Victoria Police Detective Inspector Bernie Rankin recalled his time in the job as a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. On this particular occasion, George and John Burke went to the front door. I was the rear cutoff. I was at the back of the house. Uh, George got to the back door, waved me in. Everything's under control. We went inside and um, there was something about this crook, Wayne Samuels was his name. I wouldn't turn my back on him. There was just, I just had this feeling that things weren't right in the house and I was searching his bedroom and I found some uh, uh, small caliber ammunition, obviously from a handgun, and I found a pistol grip. It was a cool morning and the crook was sweating and I asked him to uh, take off his clothes. I said, I'm going to strip search this guy. Uh, there's something not right here. And I asked him to take off his boots. We were standing at the foot of an old antique bed, an old, one of those old four-poster beds, and um, he took off his boots. So I bent down, picked up his boots, looked in them, plonked them back down the floor. And as I stood up again, he's got a uh, gun pointed at my head. And I said, uh, put it down, put it down, don't be stupid. Don't be. I raised my voice so that uh, George Hately and John Burke could hear that I was in a bit of bother. And they came to the bedroom door and at that stage the crook decided to kill himself and uh, just turned the gun on himself and um, shot himself in the head, died in the hospital a few hours later. But it was a... The reason why I believe I was extremely lucky is uh, his family members actually commented to a colleague of mine that they can't believe that he didn't take the copper out. Where did he pull the gun from? He obviously just had that on his on his person. I'd say he had it in his jocks. It was a very small twenty five caliber a little antique almost firearm it was that was sort of um, um, carried covertly. It was an old firearm. I think it was manufactured in the 20s from memory, so it was a pretty old piece of work, but it was effective. It did kill him. Victoria Police Sergeant Peter Buda Anderson crawled 70 metres under Ballarat's Black Hill Reserve hunting a serial sex offender who'd kidnapped a 16-year-old girl. He was officially recognised for his bravery and determination that day 
in November 1998. As I'm moving along, um, if you could read my mind, you'd probably have a bit of a laugh because I was more terrified of finding someone in there, um, you know, finding a deceased person or, or a grave, if you like, shallow grave. And I'm looking down at the ground with the torch, sort of, you know, and I started talking to myself too while I was crawling and walking along. Anyway, I got to the point where there's a fairly large cave in of soil. So it created a like an artificial hill, if you like, in front of me. And it was quite a cavern. It had, where the dirt had fallen out of the ceiling was quite cavernous. Um, and there were two drive. There was a drive each side that ran off the main the main drive. And I shone the torch down one, and it was quite short. It was only about six feet deep. And I swung the torch back and sort of upwards in a sweeping motion across to the other side. And I shone the torch into the drive opposite, and it was not much longer. You could tell there was nothing in there. But when I as I swung the torch across and I'm shining the torch into the second drive, it's like that wasn't right. Just my brain, talk about spidey senses, it was like, that's not right. What was that I just saw? And I slowly drew the torch back and here's two sets of eyes about seven or eight feet away from me blinking, blinking at me in the dark. Just, yeah... What did you do? Well, after I finished, you know, obviously having a panic attack. Um, I wasn't quite like that. But, yeah, so, uh, you know, I was in shock, obviously. And your brain sort of catches up pretty quick. So it's doing a doing a backpedal. And the f- I recall clearly the first thing I thought was, this is big. This is it. They're here and they're alive. And this is a big deal now. So switch it you know, switch on. To be honest, I, I thought, nah, we've got them. This is probably the biggest case I've been involved in, so do it right, you know, get it right from this point on. Liz Salmon, a.k.a. Rousey, was known for never taking a backward step. The former Victoria Police Sergeant made a real difference in the job, lobbying for women's equality and rights. My time in the job was at a time when there was a lot of change, and a lot of change had to come from sometimes from the bottom rather than the top. And because of society at the time was still very male-dominated and the police force was extremely male-dominated, when I left, when I graduated at the end of 1972, there were 157 policewomen in the force. That's not very many. And they were, sometimes they were in one, one policewoman places, where there was other, there was a lot of men to support them sometimes. Today, police women don't exist as separate entities. They are part of the force, and they are looked upon. I think much more even-handedly. I know that my local sergeant is a police woman. I know that there's a senior sergeant at the division. I would call it the division. Um, who is a female, and she, from what I can see, she does a very good job. There are police women in, in every aspect of policing today that wasn't even thought of when I left the police force. 
it's great that girls have this opportunity. And sometimes police women, or, or sorry, I shouldn't say police women, women have a different way of looking at things that affect the people around them. And a lot of them have a much better eye, better eye for detail and crossing the T's and dotting the I's and making sure that all the little tiny nuances are attended to, whereas men, men can sometimes be a bit broad brush. Each has their, their own, and I just wish that all the policemen in, in the force today walk away with, with a lot of happy memories. Because I had some good memories, few that I don't want to repeat ever, 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 and sometimes I don't even want to talk about them. But if it hadn't been for the police force, I don't think that I would have ended up living where I'm living. Um, it helped pay the mortgage in my first house. It gave me a reasonable life. It gave me a promotion. And it encouraged me to actually go to university. Wayne Snapper Rotherham is a legend in Victoria Police. The former detective inspector's resume reads like a boy's own adventure. Snapper worked in the major crime squad, which was a real notch on his belt. But it cost him a great deal personally. It, it cost me a marriage, there's no doubt about that. I, at the time, uh, was a single parent. I got my son and daughter when they were three and four respectively. Uh, my first day at the Major Crime Squad was the day Rod McDonald and Kappa shot Mad Max over in Wallam. So that was my baptism of fire. And it didn't stop there because the 1986s was an incredible year. Started off with Mad Max shootings. We had the Wall Street killings. We had the uh, Russell Street bombing. And I was nearly a victim of that. I was very lucky to, to miss that. Then we had the Turkish consulate bomb, uh, and I was a target of that terrorist group there. Now, in between all this, my first child was born in August in 1986. I was never home. It was a difficult time, very violent time, the beginning of the underworld murders. Uh, we were a very dedicated team, uh, and... Uh, it was during that time where my transition from being a detective to an officer happened. Former Victoria Police Inspector Larry Proud worked in the job, creating the first child exploitation unit and at the police academy before relocating overseas to PNG, Samoa and Cambodia. The overseas postings changed his life. I learnt that the world doesn't revolve around policing. Policing is a much broader church than uh, just uh, law enforcement. I got involved deeply with uh, a broader law and justice agenda. In the 2000s, I, uh, I was team leader for the uh, Australia-Fiji Law and Justice Sector Program, which was uh, dealing with five ministries and 11 agencies. I was dealing with police, prisons, courts, setting up the family court, police library, uh, legal libraries, um, you know, social services, dealing with uh, homeless kids, um, dealing with youth clubs. It was just a, such a broad um, education about really 
how police integrate with the broader justice system. And it just takes your focus away from the, just that locking up crooks uh, to actually taking care of community. And how important is that too? Because that community in policing and community policing is crucial, isn't it, to really understanding how the society and the community works? If you don't understand how your community works, you're never going to be effective. And, uh, you know, long ago Mick Miller used to get us out of the police cars walking the beat, knocking on doors, talking to shopkeepers, you know, walking around, one up, sometimes two up, but not five up or four up. Uh, it really is a matter of um, being able to feel comfortable shaking anybody's hand. I know it's more difficult these days. Everybody's got a camera. Everybody wants to complain. But somewhere we have to find a better balance these days. Former Victoria Police Detective Sergeant Mark Bagley is like many of the Ds I've interviewed this year on The Crime Couch. He's a hard-nosed copper who worked in the rape, armed robbery, drug and homicide squads before one day putting down his gun and handcuffs and picking up a paintbrush. It's a bit of a, a bit of serendipity. Now, I, I wasn't really, that I can recall, artistic as a kid. I don't remember being artistic. I don't remember spending a lot of time drawing or I certainly didn't paint. Um, I, was a, I was a uniform sergeant calling when I was doing the special duties there. It was busy. It was long hours. And, and I felt like, I wasn't burning out, but I felt like I needed to do something else. Well, I didn't know what. One morning, I literally woke up wanting to paint something. Now, I don't know what had subconsciously triggered that. Something had. I don't know what. So I, I, I got out of bed and I ended up in an art supply shop, local, and I had no idea what I was buying, absolutely none. I, I, I just said to the girl behind the counter, look, you know, I want to paint something. What do you got? So, of course, she, she's done the right thing by the company and sold me the most expensive stuff in the place, which were, which were oils and, you know. Um, so I bought a set of oil paints and a few brushes and I think I bought a, camp, a small canvas board. And I took it home. I didn't know where to start. I didn't really... There was no YouTube or any sort of computer thing you could look at to learn. I essentially got these paints out. And I did a, port, I did a portrait of my son who was... He was a toddler uh, in this particular photo. And I, I did his portrait over probably a month. Just a bit here and a bit there. But, but what I found was when I was actually painting... I wasn't focused, I was, that's all I was focused on, nothing else. I wasn't thinking about policing, I wasn't thinking about anything else other than this particular painting. So I thought, geez, that's all right. And I, and I could paint for like, you know, an hour or, or an hour and a half and, and be totally lost in it. So I really, I really enjoyed it. So that started, that started this art thing, although I wasn't, I wasn't serious at all about it. I dabbled here and there. I would, you know, start... I'd start a bit of a painting and then while I was on holidays and then the end of the holidays, put it away and I wouldn't see it again for 12 months and I'd take it out and, no, nah, it's not going to throw it out. So it was just a dab, just a big dabbling exercise leading up to sort of re retirement from the force. I knew that um, that's what I was going to do. I had made a, a decision that when I when I retire, I'm not sitting around or, um, you know, I'm not I'm not the sort of, I'm not a TV person. I'm not, not the sort of person that can sit around and watch TV or do a bit of gardening. Um, I was full on in the job, you know, in every aspect I was full on. I had to be the same after the event. 
you know, I couldn't just stop. So anyway, so I, I took up, when I retired, I took up painting with gusto, went on a, a real learning expedition quickly. So essentially the day after I retired, I started a studio. There was no downtime. There was no time in between. And I treated it like... I treated it like a second job. So I would go in at a certain time in the morning into where I was painting at the time in the garage. I've got a studio now, but in the garage I was painting. And I'd paint there and I'd come out at lunchtime, I'd get some lunch, and then I'd go back in there and paint in the afternoon. And that was every day. That was my structure. 94-year-old Lillian Irwin was an inspector in Victoria Police for nearly three decades. Lil, as she's affectionately known, led the way for women in the job. When Lil joined in 1961, she was only one of four women in her squad. Always uh, given the sissy jobs that um, we weren't allowed to, to use force, but we still snuck it in in times. And in fact, um, uh, I think it might be uh, Mick Gatto. I used to grab by the ear and tell him to do something, and if he didn't do it, I'd dig my thumbnail in. That hurt and woke up. <laughs> You've had quite an, an experience working in the job. You were posted to Morwell Police Station. Now, do you remember what happened when the new Chief Commissioner paid a visit? Remember what happened? Oh, yes. He, he was... I had my new uniform, a new uniform, and I thought I'd better wear this so I wore a good uniform. And threw a beautiful salute to the chief, and the button popped up the top of my uniform and rattled <laughs> down the concrete. And the mayor of Mall, of Mall, chased it and brought it back and put it in my hands in front of the fellow who'd just been promoted. How did that go down? He went home and had nervous breakdown. <laughs> and I believe you were you got stirred about that and they said it was because of you that he had the breakdown. Yes, it was all my fault. Former Victoria Police Detective Senior Constable Dave Clark took a leap of faith to speak to me on the crime catch this year. Dave arrived on the scene minutes after his dear friend and colleague, Senior Constable Tony Hogarth-Clark, was murdered in April 2005. This horrendous incident changed his life. Dave was awarded a Victoria Police Star Medal for serious injuries sustained whilst on duty and is on his way back to leading a happy life. Within a minute of identifying that it was Tony Stewie, Thompson pulled up in his car and I opened his door and I said, it's Tony Stewie, and he reacted with swear words as you would. Then um, as he got out, he said, where's his car? And I hadn't even realised, I must have been in shock, I hadn't even realised that Tony's QE, his unmarked car was missing. So the killers jumped in Tony's car and taken off. And, and about an hour later, a transmission came over the radio saying that um, Tony's uh, a marked car was found and a short distance away his killer was found in, in scrub with a self-inflicted gunshot wound from Tony's revolver. When I heard that transmission I was extremely relieved. I was worried for that hour that 
this prick was going to have a shootout with police and that we might lose more members. So thank goodness a horrendous night ended on the, the most positive way it could have. Dave, it's a horrendous incident. It's something you never assume you're going to be involved in. You, you were involved in it, of course. You were first on the scene of a, of a dear friend and a colleague who had been murdered. How does this impact on you? I mean, did they teach you about this in the academy? No, look, they didn't. Having graduated in 98, they never really sort of... Um, look, forgive me, instructors, if you did, if you're listening. Um, I, I can't remember any mental health lectures or, or that kind of thing. As far as the impact goes, it was almost in, instantaneous. Crime 544, the, the night shift crime unit, rocked up some sometime afterwards and I had to sit in the back of the car with a young detective and recount the night's events. And it was only then... Uh, that I remembered that Tony had asked me to work with him at the start of the shift and upon remembering that I burst into tears and it was a bit awkward in the back seat. Two blokes, you know, one of them sobbing so he, he thanked me and said the homies will be in touch for a statement. So I got out of the car and walked straight back to where Tony was and knelt down beside him and apologised for not working with him and I was never the same from that minute on. It wasn't actually finding him, although that was horrific, it was that minute onwards, the guilt, when the guilt set in, yeah, that I remembered that, that um, he'd asked me to work with him and bang, that was it for me. Yeah, I changed from that minute onwards. As mentioned, this is the final episode of The Crime Couch, Season 2. I'll be back next year with a new season of great, intriguing stories from the front line. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and thanks for your company this year on The Crime Couch. Mm-hmm.